Hello listeners, this is Patrick Torres, and I'm the Artistic Director here at Raleigh Little Theatre. This episode of our podcast is dedicated to our production of Blood at the Root. For this production, we are partnering with Wake County Public School teacher Matt Sheldon and his students at Middle Creek High School. They are serving as dramaturgs for our production because they've been studying the history of lynching in Wake County. And let me just stop here for a second and just give you a warning. Uh, This episode of the podcast describes the history of lynching in Wake County, including the details of the one registered lynching here. Uh, So I just wanted to make sure that that was clear before you uh, go any further, that uh, there is a description of uh, that racial violence in this episode. So Blood at the Root is based on the true story of the Gina Six in Gina, Louisiana. In 2006, at Gina High School, a black student stood up at an assembly and asked the principal if he was allowed to sit under a tree at the center of the schoolyard normally occupied by white students. The next morning, the student body arrived to find nooses hanging from that tree. Tensions at the school escalated quickly, resulting in a fight in the school cafeteria where six black males were accused of assaulting one white male, and they were charged with attempted murder. This event and this show dives into the heart of race and justice in our country. It is a dynamic play about young people wrestling with hate and violence and racism. Because this play is about young people, we cast it with teens. The people in the show are about the same age as the students who were involved in the incident in Gina. And we trusted teens to put the play in context for the audience. And that's how we found Matt and his students. Um, And we are trusting them to uh, give you insight into the play. So this was really informative and a true gift to be able to record this interview with Matt and two of his students. So I'm glad you're listening and I hope you enjoy the podcast. I mean, we have so much to learn from young people in our community and it's really time for us to listen to them. Uh, So we'll get right to it. Here is my interview with Matt and Kayla and Abby. All right. Hi, listeners. I am uh, here at Middle Creek High School in Apex, North Carolina. So the podcast is on the road uh, for this show. Um, This is our podcast, of course, in support of Blood at the Root. And I'm here at Middle Creek because we have some really um, cool partnerships happening with this show. And probably the coolest one is that we have a group of young folks um, here at the high school who are our dramaturgs uh, for the show. And so they've been working a lot on the show and just some other content. And I just wanted you to hear about some of that stuff because we're really excited to have them on board. So good morning, everybody. Good morning. So I wanted to start with the teacher, Matt Sheldon. And I, Matt, uh, thanks for having us and thanks for agreeing to be a partner on the show. Absolutely. We're super excited to be a part of this. So you've, um, over the last few years, mm-hmm. have started um, kind of a project with your class about the history of lynching, lynching in Wake County. Can you tell us a little bit about that process, where the idea came from, and what you've done so far? So it began with reading Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. And when I read that book just on my own, I realized that it would be a great text to use with my African-American literature class. So I planned on integrating that into that class. And as I was learning about Brian Stevenson and the Equal Justice Initiative, that's when I learned about the uh, National Memorial for Peace and Justice that they were getting ready to open. At that point, it was uh, Thanksgiving of that year, and it was going to open in April. So 
I started digging into what that was all about. And, um, you know, as you start looking into it, you realize that there's all these memorials, one for each county in America that's had a lynching. And of course, you want to look at your state, you want to look at your county. And as I zoomed in, I saw that Wake County had one confirmed lynching. Um, we know there were certainly more, but there was one confirmed lynching that was going to be memorialized at that National Memorial for Peace and Justice. And when I did some further digging as to what the Equal Justice Initiative was doing with this, I learned that they were doing a uh, community remembrance project for each of those individual lynchings where groups would research the lynching, try and find the site of the lynching and gather soil from that site. The soil would go in a jar and that would be a part of the memorial down in Montgomery. Um, so I reached out to the Equal Justice Initiative, said, I'm going to be teaching this class. I'd really love to be a part of the Community Remembrance Project. And lo and behold, there was actually already another school, Explorers Middle School, had already reached out as well. So we actually collaborated with them and uh, started researching the case. And these students put together a truth and reconciliation project surrounding that soil collection. That's great. Can you tell us a little bit about what the project entailed and what your students did? So it started with researching the case itself using um, primary sources going back at that point almost 100 years. Um, and we triangulated that information with uh, interviews that we had done out in the community where this occurred. And we found the spot of the lynching. And when we reached out to the landowner about doing the soil collection there, at first they said yes. But then as the, the larger family discussed it, they realized they didn't want to be linked with this. They didn't want their property um, having anything to do with this. And they pulled back that invitation. So we were at a stopping point uh, then. And the students thought through it. And it was actually one of the students. The idea was, well, this particular lynching, there were 300 participants in that lynching. And the, that was people from all around Wake County participated in that, from all different townships inside of Wake County. So the idea became, instead of trying to get soil from just that one site, why don't we try to get small soil samples donated from people throughout Wake County, maybe even to match that 300 number to represent the idea of our larger community taking ownership of this part of our history. Um, so that then led into the next phase of it where it became a social media campaign that the kids started, um, online presence with information about the case, doing that truth-telling work about the case, um, going out to the North Carolina Museum of History to spread the message even further. Um, and to date, we've had soil samples donated from almost 500 people, businesses, schools, institutions, faith-based institutions. Um, so that that truth telling has has happened and we got the soil for the jar and we uh, went down to Montgomery and we've delivered it to the Equal Justice Initiative. So now that jar is a part of their permanent installation at the memorial. Mm, that's amazing. Can you tell us anything about the lynching in Wake County, like any of the details of that? So it was uh, it happened on November 5th, 1918 um, in the northern part of Wake County in what is now Rollsville. At the time, it was unincorporated Wake County territory. Um, a white woman claimed that a black man had entered her home and assaulted her. Um, the details of that assault were kind of nebulous. Um, the then Wake County Sheriff brought three men to her, all of which she said, that's not him, that's not him, that's not him. They get to the fourth guy that they bring in, who is our victim, George Taylor. And she again says, that's not him. 
Um, and after some pressure from law enforcement, like, you know, kind of like you have to name somebody at this point, you know, we brought four people in. She reluctantly says, well, it sounds like him. Mm. So based on the sound of his voice only, he goes into uh, custody with a Wake County deputy who goes, who's actually trying to follow legal procedure and is going to take him to the jail in the, in the northern part of Wake County. But he doesn't even make it a quarter of a mile down the road before he's stopped by masked armed men, members of the KKK, they were hooded, who hold not only George Taylor, but that deputy at gunpoint. He didn't want to relinquish um, George Taylor to them out of his custody. But they held him and George Taylor at gunpoint in a ditch for six hours while word spreads throughout the county and the mob slowly forms. So eventually that deputy kind of fades into the background and we're left just with George Taylor. Um, and what we know ended up happening was that his body was found hanging upside down in a tree and he was he had over 108 bullet holes in him. Mm. Um his body was examined by the then coroner, um, but no death certificate was issued. And when we did digging into that about why, we realized that, well, when you fill in a death certificate, you have to fill in the manner of death. And in this case, the only thing you could put is homicide. But if you put homicide, there has to be an investigation. Mm. So it was bad enough that the sitting governor at the time told the the DA, what, what they called the solicitor, you have to try, at least try to press charges, at least put a show of it. So there was a grand jury convened of 30 folks from the community, 21 white, nine black. Um, one of the people was a neighbor to the property where this happened. We know that because the grand jury's name and addresses were published in the newspaper. Mm. Now that tells you like, you know, they certainly felt threatened. Um, but that grand jury of people, every one of them said, oh, we don't know anything about that. Mm -hmm. So case dismissed, case dropped. It never went any further than that. So that's the story of George Taylor's lynching. Wow. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, I think anytime you're researching something like that, it's a bold step forward and, and the things that you uncover about the place where you live and you're doing it with uh, high school teenagers um, and middle schoolers that and middle schoolers from explorers you're right and so tell me what you learned from the young people what perspective did you gain from having them go through this process well first it confirmed a belief that i had going into this but but now i i know it entirely to be true Young people are far more resilient than we give them credit for. I mean, that's a harsh story. Um, a lot of times people might balk at putting that kind of information in front of young people, but they can absolutely deal with that. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, they want to, um, not from a morbid fascination, but they, they want the truth. They're tired of having information put in front of them that has been sugar-coated or quite literally whitewashed. So... They are, they are hungry for that kind of information. And I saw the more that we researched this, the more things that we learned, the more they were ready to accept that really harsh truth and then try to think of something to do with it. Um, that's something that always fills me with a lot of hope is that it's not always just about 
let's learn this set of facts. But these guys have always been about, now that we have these facts, what are we going to do about it? And it's always about leading to some kind of action that could lead to change in the community. Mm, thank you so much. Well, let's talk to a couple of your students. So let's have you two introduce yourselves to us. First, tell us your name and also what year you are in, in school. Okay. Um, I'm Kayla Keaton. I'm a junior at Middle Creek. Um, I'm Abby Rogers, and I'm a senior at Middle Creek High School. Excellent. Well, thank you both for agreeing to do this. And I know it's lunch period. And <laughs> so I appreciate you being here. So tell, tell um, us a little bit about kind of the impact for you on studying events like this and kind of the journey that you all have been on in, in class as you've looked at the play and also just the history of this lynching in Wake County. What's it meant to you personally? So I remember learning about um, the lynching of George Taylor last fall in Mr. Shadone's class. And when he originally introduced the um, story to us, um, he kind of was not very thorough about it. He kind of just like shared a couple of documents about it with us and was like, this is a project that we're working on. Like read about it, get into it a little bit. There's going to be a couple meetings outside of school if you're interested in that. Um, and so I was just had some free time to kill and I was like reading some of the information about the lynching. And I remember the name of the woman who accused George Taylor um, was something that was really striking to me because her name was Ruby Rogers. And my last name is Rogers and it was spelled the same way. And I was like, oh God, please tell me that I'm not related to this woman. Mm. Um, and so I remember, I don't even think that I told Sheldon until like a couple weeks after, but I remember I immediately called my aunt because we have had family like in North Carolina for a while. And I was like, please give me all of the like familial records that we have possible so that I can just like kind of comb through them and just see if there's like any rubies anywhere. Um, and there wasn't thankfully, but then as I kind of reflected on that a little bit more, I was kind of like, Oh wow. Like maybe I wasn't directly related to this person, but that's still like such a possibility. Like I don't, like I have no control over what my ancestors did a hundred years ago. All I really have control over is what we, I can do now and how I can control that impact. And so it was just something that was really eye-opening for me and kind of really just sparked my interest um, in like truth telling and reconciliation as a entire kind of thing. Yeah, that's great. How about you? So I took this class the spring of last year and I was like the only, the only freshman in the class, it was my second semester of high school. And I've always lived in a predominantly white neighborhood. I've always gone to predominantly white schools. Um, and like, I'm used to being like the only black person in a room. And so I was used to having like lessons and like history lessons and stuff of the same people, you know, the Martin Luther King story, the Harriet Tubman story. And I love those people. They're great, obviously. But um, later on in middle school, I started to become more involved in politics and everything, especially with black identity and everything. But I had to do all that stuff by myself. And so coming into this class and learning about the case, it was A, it was local and I wasn't doing any like national huge topic that's really, really broad. It can apply to almost everywhere. It was something I could actually get my hands on here. And B was a story that I've never heard before, living in North Carolina all my life, living in Wake County all my life. And so that impacted me so much because I love working on projects that I actually care about. And especially like volunteering is a huge thing with me, being a Girl Scout as well. And so using my time for 
good actions such as bringing this case to light and then having him pass the story on to Abby's class um, in the fall. Um, I just loved the same group effort into a huge project that for some people, it may not have been that big because some people are like, oh, history is in the past. Like, why do we care? But for the people that that could have been them, that is huge. And to see people learn that and realize like what actually happened here, it was a really good experience for me. Mm. So let's keep going on kind of on that, like how history, you know, so many people just see it as something that's in the past. Um, but, you know, then we have like the story of the play where um, this symbol of lynching, this like really direct action that happened that you all studied about shows up at a, at a school campus. I mean, what do you think are the implications today? Like if, if a new showed up on campus, what would that do to a student body? What do you think would happen? Um, I think, okay, so our black population has depleted in the last year. And so right now I think the reaction wouldn't be a huge outrage from the black population as it would have been maybe a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. But I still think that there would be a quiet rage from some of the from some of the white population because I do know that some of the kids here they do feel strongly about um, race relations. But I also do think there would be a silent, somewhat of a silent support. Not like a huge overly racist, like, oh my God, Middle Creek is a horrible place to be or something. But I do know that some people do have drastically different views than me. Mm -hmm. And so while they may never overtly say, oh, I hate black people or I hate this group, I do think that there is a little bit of prejudice coming from this population. And most of the people here I know are nonviolent. They would never say anything to my face. But I do think even unconsciously, they mm -hmm. would have that tendency. Mm. And so for someone to make a move such as putting four, four nooses up very blatantly, I think that would cause stir from both sides and definitely conversation. Mm -hmm. How about yeah. you? Um, I'm just going to be completely honest. I, well, I definitely agree with everything that Kayla said. I honestly just don't know if people would understand the true um like impact and the true meaning of that just because i feel like as a population middle creek high school is just very unaware of the true consequences and the, like the heavy meaning that comes behind so many things um and i mean like not to get too political currently but like there was a guy that i'm not directly friends with but we have mutual friends and he showed up to the football game wearing a Trump t-shirt. And I was like, obviously, like, you can have your own opinions. That's fine. But, like, you're just wearing that shirt to cause an outrage. Like, you're just doing it to be controversial. Like, and that, like, wearing that shirt, especially because he was, like, the one of the leaders of our student section, wearing that shirt in a position like that just makes people feel so uncomfortable. And you don't realize that because that's your privilege. And... I just, and it, like his only response to me was, it's just a t-shirt. It shouldn't be that serious. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people are just very neglectful on the true impact of what they're doing. And it's definitely an issue of privilege, I feel like, to be in that position of ignorance. But at the same time, it's no excuse for 
having that ignorance. And I feel like it's our responsibility, especially as a student body, to become more educated about that. And classes like Shadon's class are just like the beginning to that. And then continuing that work with um, kind of making people aware of the true significance of these symbols of hate, um, like through what we've been doing with the um, Truth and Reconciliation Project, kind of commemorating George Taylor. Um, I think it's just really important. And going back to the original question, what would like Middle Creek students do about it? I feel like it would definitely spark an outrage and it would definitely spark a conversation. Um, But I feel like that's just a conversation like that would that needs to be like that needs to happen Mm -hmm. in like a positive way. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you both for saying that. I mean, I, 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 you know, I, even as the producer of the play, you know, in order to truthfully tell that story, we have to, um, nooses will be in the space, you know, Mm -hmm. and the, to me and theater, I think because it is an art form where we have to be together, which is one Mm -hmm. thing I love about it. It's also, there's some danger in that. Do you know what I mean? Because, um, you know, there's a lot of debate in the play and I'm interested in, on y'all's perspective of this, um, it's kind of connected to what you're saying, but there's all this debate among the characters in the play once those nooses show up of whether it's a, a direct act of racism, uh, whether it's just teasing, is it just a prank? They call a lot of it in the play. They say this is just a prank. Um, and I'm imagining that that reaction would be true for any community. Mm-hmm. There would be such divergent opinions about it. Um, uh, and there are some people, uh, not necessarily in the play, but I think there are some people in the community that would call it an act of violence. You know, mm-hmm. so where do y'all land? I mean, if you were talking to the students in the play who were saying maybe it's just a prank, or or is it racism, or what yeah. is it? What would you say? What is it if if that happens? If there's a physical news yeah. present, what is that? I mean, I think just kind of going back to what I said earlier about the Trump shirt, it's a symbol of hatred, um, whether it is intended to be or not, and it being an object, like it doesn't have the capacity to determine if it is just a prank or if it's something that's more. And I think that that's what's really important is like knowing the environment that that symbol is present in. And so if you are hanging it in a, if you're presenting these symbols in a situation where that could even be a possibility, then obviously like people are open to their own interpretations of it. And I think that you need to be respectful of everybody's interpretation of it. So if somebody sees one of these hate symbols and they're like, that's an act of that's a threat of violence that's like just absolutely unacceptable then you need to kind of honor that and validate that because it's just something that everybody deserves to have like everybody has a right to feel safe um yeah what would you say um i think even if you take away the racial issues um associated with Um, nooses and lynching even if you didn't know that lynching was a huge practice back in the antebellum era you know what a noose is Mm. you know that it's violent and you know that it takes away life for any type of reason and so I think even playing with like a physical noose in a public space isn't something that can be tolerated by anyone and so I think even the conversation of just straight up violence would have to occur at the school um even just the image of violence so like no obviously no one's dying but it's just the feeling that it evokes from so many people for so many different reasons besides race 
And I think that that entire conversation needs to be had and then add the implications of the correlation between what happened in the play with the black students and add that in later. But the basis is that it was completely violent, Mm. no matter what. Um, Pranking or not pranking, that was the undertone of it. And so that's what people need to know about symbols like that. Um, because a symbol is a symbol, and it can be applied to anyone everywhere, and everyone can perceive it differently. But that was what it was used for. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you all for answering that. Um, you know, so in the play, well, and then the true story of, of Gina, Louisiana, we know that those nooses showing up led to violence. So there was this cafeteria fight. Mm-hmm where six uh, black teenagers were convicted for attempted murder for a, for a fight at school. Um, and so it did set off some really um, violent reaction, both both from white students and black students. Um, and, and I think that, that it, you know, when I think through like what would happen, like in a, in a public space, if that happened, it seems like that is one path. But beyond that, you know, y'all have been working on reconciliation and truth and reconciliation. So what do we do? What do we do as communities of people um, who hear about acts of racism, even even if it's not like a physical object in a space, even if it's an attitude or the way someone's treated? How how do we participate in reconciliation as a community um, from your perspective? I really just think the first step is just to become educated about it, Mm. Um, especially like speaking for the youth population here, we don't do a good enough job of continuing to tell the important stories. Like, I know Kayla can speak on this as well, but like I've lived in North Carolina my entire life, and I never once heard so many important stories that like I'm now being told just because of the um, like active steps that I'm taking to educate myself on these issues. And I think that before we can even begin to reconcile anything, like we need to be told the truth and we need to learn the history because even though it's not our current state, our history still has so many implications. It has so many, um, like just the hit, like our history is still so like there, it manifests itself in so many ways in the present. And, um, like before we can truly understand the impact of how it's affecting our present, we have to understand the past. Um, I mean, for me, community reconciliation is just awareness. And so for me, the first step is to have a phone because that's the easiest way to spread awareness to almost everybody now. Like even just yesterday, I saw the video about that black kid in Florida getting beat all the way up by three students and it was a huge deal because the school system wasn't responding like they should very similar to the Gina to the Gina 6 and I saw that through social media and I I obviously had a reaction and I obviously wanted to share it with people and so the only way for people to know is if you become a storyteller yourself and that doesn't always mean it has to be in person it doesn't mean it has to be through like a book or something or a TV show. It could just be as simple as sharing with your immediate followers. And then they have the ability to share it directly from you because social media is so widespread and is so easy to share to other people. So I think that just technology now is the way to get the stories out there rapid, like speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I appreciate what both of you are saying. It's like education and it's like being aware, lifting the veil 
And like, I love what you said about being a storyteller. I mean, that's why I love theater so much and have dedicated my life to that art form. And plays like Blood at the Root, um, I think, are theater at its best when mm-hmm. it's it's got a really um, social reason to exist. You know, it is mm-hmm. trying to do what you're talking about, Kayla, which is like make people aware of a thing they may not have been aware of and, and kind of how how uh, the justice system fails people um, and, and especially young people and the way that, um, you know, we treat young people and, 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 and feel like they don't have enough to contribute. And it's clear that they do. Um, so, Matt, let's give you kind of the last word. So um, what um, why do you think as a community, because, you know, uh, Blood at the Root uh, happened to the students that were the age of the students you teach. And the play has been cast with the, the, you know, people who are this similar age to the people that it happened to. Why should we be listening to young people? Why does it matter? Um, I mean, the, the, the easy answer to that is it, and, and, and I feel bad because it's, it's totally on them. They got to fix it. Mm-hmm. it. It's landed on their doorstep. Mm-hmm. And we've been, sweeping these issues generationally down the line and generation to generation has done their their bit um that's not to say that that things weren't done in the past that were positive you know in 1965 when we sign in the voting rights act that's huge that's hugely important but the sad thing is i think by and large we signed in the voting rights act and we signed in the civil rights act and we're like see we fixed it mm-hmm. racism's over mm-hmm. or barack obama becomes elected and we go see we fixed it racism's over and it's not and i think it's going to be their generation that they have to be the ones to finally put this to rest mm-hmm. and kind of exactly what they're saying it's the truth telling their generation is going to be the ones that actually face the music they're going to be the ones that put this information out there and discuss this information in a true and honest and uncomfortable way and that that's becoming a very common theme is that we need to become comfortable with being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and it's okay to have a conversation that makes you angry it's okay to do that it's just what do you do with that anger it's okay to have a conversation that makes you frustrated or sad what do you do with that? That that's the important thing. So I I think this work has to have the young folks involved. They they have to be a part of this because honestly, it's on them. They're going to be the ones to fix it or not, or it's going to get swept to the next generation. And and I know working with these students that I am greatly heartened that I, that I feel very good about where this conversation is headed um, because I work with a lot of incredibly smart, brave kids every day that are willing to do this work. Well, thank you all so much. And thank you for the work you're doing and for and for helping tell the truth. Uh, we appreciate it. And, uh, you know, uh, we all look forward to seeing the play. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank, thank you. you. All right, listeners, I hope that you found as much inspiration in hearing from those young people as I did. And I hope that they've inspired you to come see the play and be on the lookout for um, everything that they're producing uh, as our dramaturgs. Uh, So it just leaves me to let you know the dates. Blood at the Root opens on September 27th and runs through October 13th, and it is not to be missed. I just saw a run through last night, and I have to tell you, the work that these young people are doing is really stellar. And I'm really excited about this play. 
On October 6th, we will have a post-show discussion after the Sunday matinee with Terrence Ruth, who is the executive director of the Justice Love Foundation. He's coming to talk to us about racial reconciliation and uh, to give us some practical steps we can all take to be better neighbors. Uh, so please come uh, to that on October 6th and definitely come see the show. Um, if you would do us a favor and subscribe to our podcast and give us some good ratings, we would appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much, and we will see you at the theater.